Good morning. Hey, welcome everyone to Faith Community Church. It's great to have you with us today. Good morning, everyone joining us online. We miss you guys. Hope that you're well and hope you can be with us in person soon as well. Well, it is finally here, ladies and gentlemen, our very last week in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. I went back and looked it up. We started this on March 12th, which is a long time ago. So thank you for uh, enduring with us and sticking with us through this study. It's been good for me personally. I hope it's been helpful to you as well. And just in case this is your first time here, we always have visitors. I just want to let you know the theme of Hebrews has been the uniqueness and the greatness of Jesus. And over and over it's been uh, pointing us to uh, the fact that there's no one like him. No one makes the claim to be who Jesus says that he is, and no one's done the things that Jesus has done. And so the the, uh, exhortation over and over in Hebrews has been, hold on to him. Whatever it costs you, wherever he leads, hold fast to Jesus, because you're not going to find anyone else like him. In the last chapter, which we're going to finish up today, the author has been putting on his pastor hat, and is speaking now to just a a lot of practical aspects of a life of reverence and awe. So chapter 12 ended with a call to worship acceptably with a heart of reverence and awe, and chapter 13 has just been, and this is what that looks like, this is what that looks like, this is what that looks like. So let's turn there together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 will be on page 1009 if you want to borrow a Bible from under the chairs in front of you. While you're turning there, just just by way of reminder, last week we talked about four markers of a life of reverence and awe. One was genuine hospitality, that was verse two. Loyalty to one another, verse three. Sexual integrity, verse four. And not loving money, verse five. And we said last week, what makes those so challenging is each one exposes uh, something else that we're tempted to put our trust in. So in, in turning away from those things, We're saying to God, I'm trusting you to fulfill this need in my heart for the things that these other things promise. And I wish I'd drawn this out more last week, but the promise uh, in in our reading last week was verse 5, God will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, so you can trust him with your stuff, your time, and your home. You can trust him with your desire to be in relationship. You can trust him with your money and so on. Verse 6 adds, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Okay, so just a reminder, God never asks for anything from us that he doesn't also promise the grace to actually do. I would add that he doesn't ask anything from us that he hasn't already done himself. Okay, so both of those promises that God will be with you And that God will help you are true of everything we're going to read today as well. What I would add this week, though, is is the the things we're going to read this week, to me, kind of have the tone of, so this is how you help one another to finish this race together. It is a remarkable thing to endure and persevere in faith for 40 and 50 and 60 years together. Anyone can do the Christian thing for a few years. But some of you are sitting next to silver-haired saints this morning who are still here 40 and 50 and 60 years into this and still singing 
And that is a remarkable thing. And today in our reading, we're going to talk about how we do that then. How could you be faithful to Jesus decade after decade, through all of life's ups and downs, through tragedy and triumph, through broken dreams and fulfilled ones? How do we hold fast to Jesus? Okay? So we're going to pick up where we left off. This is chapter 13, starting in verse 7. Here's what the author says. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. You want to endure to the end. You want to finish the race of faith. Number one, remember your leaders. That's verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Leaders in the church would certainly include pastors and elders, and I do think that he has primarily those people in mind, but I appreciate that he chose the word leaders because it is a broader word. And he's talking about everyone that has a hand in speaking the word of God to you in the church. So this would include your Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, youth leaders, small group leaders, mentors, missional community leaders. Remember your leaders. Now for this audience, he's, he's talking about that first generation of Jewish Christians who, believe, who came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for and led their friends and neighbors and families to faith in Jesus, and now they've passed away. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life. 
See, it's one thing to teach the word of God. It's another to lay the entire course of your life from beginning to end before God's people for their examination and their imitation. And that's what they did. These leaders taught the way of faith, and then they ran the race. And the record of their endurance was there for the church to remember. It's a great reminder for everyone here who has a role in the teaching ministry of Faith Community Church. Faith kids, teachers, Awana leaders, youth leaders, mentors, missional community leaders, small group leaders, and yes, pastors and elders. This is a great reminder, number one, that your first job is to speak the word of God to the people. If we're talking about cubbies in Awana or y'all from the pulpit, okay? Job number one is to speak the word of God. So my encouragement to you at every level at Faith Community Church, make this your ambition. If you're a, if you're a, a, a youth leader this morning, please make it your ambition this year to know the word of God just a little better a year from now than you do today. If you're a missional community leader here, I encourage you to take one step this year in learning to speak the word of God to hearts, to hearts. Learn that root-to-fruit tool that we've been pressing upon you. Learn it just a little better this year. What a great reminder also to pay attention to your life. The Apostle Paul, writing to a young pastor named Timothy, uh, writes this. This is 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, listen to this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What an incredible thought. Youth leaders, if you, you want to make a difference for eternity in the life of the kids under your care, watch yourself and watch your teaching. I know some of you leading in our next generation ministries aren't even like 25 years old yet. You may believe that you're exempt from this. I've, I've walked through the halls during Awana and I see people who look like they're barely shaving, mentoring kids. You are not exempt from this. Because my kids are watching you. They're learning what faith at 20 looks like when they watch you. They're watching how you treat your girlfriend. They're watching how you value the word of God. So pay attention to what you teach and how you live. What an awesome privilege and responsibility. That if you'll do these things, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Missional community leaders and small group leaders, if I could just give you a special exhortation this morning. Perfection is not the goal here. Faith is the goal. We did not call you to help us shepherd God's people because we thought you were perfect. We called you because you have a demonstrated history of faith. And that's what we want you to show us. Okay? So teach us And then show us. Teach us how to be married. Then show it to us. Teach us uh, humility and repentance. And then show us what it looks like in your life when you're wrong. Teach us how to trust in the blood of Jesus alone. And then show us what that looks like in real life. Because we're not going to do it perfectly either. 
And you're, you're the ones we get to watch and learn from. I want to say just one more, this one. I always say one more thing, and then it turns into three words. I'm going to say, okay, but just, to those of you over a certain age, I will let you decide what age that is. To our silver-haired saints, we are still watching you too. And I know it may not always feel like it, but we are watching, and you are still setting the pace. Because the, the fact is that a time is coming in every single one of our lives when we have to step back from the hustle and bustle of active ministry and turn things over to a new generation. And you're showing us how. So you made commitments to your spouse 45, 50, 55 years ago that you would take care of her when the time came. And now you are. We're still watching you. A day is coming for most of us when all the ministry we have the strength for is the ministry of prayer. And you have been telling us, you taught us that we belong to Jesus by grace alone, that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. Is that really true? I've had a couple of retired elders say to me, I've never felt so irrelevant in my whole life. Is it true that we belong by grace alone, even when our strength is failing? So we're still watching you, and we're proud of you. Friends, uh, university students, younger people, everyone under the age of 30. Anybody under the age of 30 this morning? All right. Most of you are not going to die at Faith Community Church. Okay? At some point, most of you will probably move on. Uh, jobs will take you somewhere else or something. And you're going to be looking for a church. Number one thing you look for is what do they actually do with the Bible? Okay? Not, what, not what do they say about it, but what do they actually do with it? The number two thing, though, that I would encourage you to look for is, do I want my life to look like that in 30 years? To look at the lives of their leaders and say, is that what I want my family to look like in 30 years? Do I want my faith to look that way in 30 years? Tim Porter has always put it this way. This is, our, this is our promise to you, Faith Community Church, that we would never bring men up here to lay hands on them to be elders unless we're ready to say to our kids, if anything happens to us, we want you to follow Bill and Margie Brinkman. We want you to follow Tim and Lori Stute. We want you to go to John and Randy Gross because you can trust them. Not because they're perfect, but because of a long history of faithfulness to God's people. And we, we would say that. We would say that about each of the other ten elders and their wives here. We would love for your faith to look like theirs. Second, if you want to make it to the very end, the author says, do not be led away by strange teaching. Verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's an awesome sentence. But it is a really strange place to set it down. Some of you have this tattooed on your bodies or hanging on your wall. When you actually read it in its context, a little strange, but I think it's the link between verses 7 and 9. And this is what I mean. Leaders die. Heroes grow old, and one day, whatever ministry you've been given to do, you're going to have to pass it on to someone else. But Jesus, by contrast, is always available. 
He never changes. He cannot die again. He doesn't age, and he is the constant from one generation to the other. We've read in Hebrews, for example, yesterday in the past, Jesus offered himself up a perfect sacrifice. Today, Hebrews says, he represents his people in the presence of God and and forever. Hebrews 7.25 says, he lives forever to make intercession for us. Okay, so by the grace of God, you and I will serve the church in our generation, but we're going to have to stop. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a priest forever. He can never be replaced, and what he's done can never be added to. And so for that same reason, the author is saying, in verse 9, don't get swept up by a lot of nonsense. Okay? This is a reminder that there is a core to Christianity. There's a gospel center that has not really changed since the very beginning. There really is just one story from Genesis to Revelation that leads us to Jesus. There's stability and durability to the gospel. And no, you cannot make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Okay, so verse 9, don't be led away by strange and diverse teaching. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. That's kind of an interesting thing there at the end. By grace, not by foods. What's happening there is in the first... Well, so salvation is a free gift of God's grace. That's abundantly clear throughout Hebrews. And grace, though, is really hard. Grace is hard for the heart to grasp because we so desperately and naturally want to do something to justify ourselves. Okay? Well, wherever the gospel would go in the first century, it would be followed by these other teachers who would come and say, oh, you've heard of Jesus. That's so great. Here are some other things you can do, though, to to make your life pleasing to God. And chief among them were food laws because both Gentiles and Jews had a lot of food laws in their worship. So, you know, they they would come and say, oh, no, no temple, no priest, no sacrifice, no problem. Here are some other things you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. And, and the, the Bible, I mean, this is in Galatians, it's in Romans, it's in uh, First and Second Timothy, it's just everywhere. The Bible is constantly pushing back against this to say, you can trust in what Jesus has done alone. Trust the cross of Jesus. It's good to be strengthened by grace, not by foods that aren't going to help you. We could just add any external thing. Strange and diverse teachings in this context. He's just talking about novel, interesting, shiny teaching that appeals to our natural desire to justify ourselves or it appeals to the spirit of our age. The bottom line is it's any teaching that would draw you away from the cross of Jesus as your only hope or draw you away from the resurrection of Jesus as your only hope. I would not expect you to remember this. Okay, a thousand virtual points if you do remember this. But the very last sermon that we did here before we started Hebrews back in March was in 2 Timothy, a letter that Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy. And he says in chapter 3, Look, Timothy, over the course of your life and ministry, all kinds of interesting teaching is going to come and go. And some of it will hang around for a long time and some of it will come and go within just a few short years. Timothy, stick with the scripture. 
Whatever happens, stick with God's word. These fascinating new studies and new discoveries are going to adorn the front covers of magazines and fill your TikTok feed, and they will seem so formidable. But in 10 or 20 years, they will run their course, they will have been shown to be nothing. And so, whenever someone tries to save you from your obsolete, out-of-touch, irrelevant Bible, or is trying to save Jesus from the Bible, or is trying to save the church from the Bible, or warns you about being on the wrong side of history, just chill. Everybody just relax. Stick with Scripture. And Hebrews is saying the same thing. If you're going to run this race to the very end, if you're going to be faithful for 40, 50, 60 years, then you're going to have to watch as friends and loved ones are drawn away by shiny new teaching and ideas. Hebrews is saying, just give it a few years. It seems so compelling at the time, just give it a few years and let your heart be strengthened by grace, not these shiny new things. And you'll grow from strength to strength to strength. Okay? Number three, if you want to make it to the end, you're going to have to embrace and share in Jesus' disgrace. This is verses 10 through 14. These are the most confusing verses that we've read, but it's because, again, he's writing to Jewish Christians and he's reminding them of the Day of Atonement uh, described back in Exodus. So this is when the priests would take the sin of the people and symbolically place it on an animal, that animal would be sacrificed, and then the carcasses of those animals would be taken outside of the camp and burned. And that place where those carcasses were burned became symbolically just a place of deep defilement and a, a, you know, deep banishment from God's presence. Well, in the same way, Hebrews is saying, verse 12, Jesus also was taken outside the gate of the city and put to death. Uh, he was covered with shame and reproach. And if we're going to follow him, Hebrews says, then we need to follow him out there. We need to embrace that to be a follower of Jesus is, in some respect, uh, to be misunderstood uh, and not liked all the time. He's saying, if you need to be liked by people, you're not going to make it. Last week, we talked about how Christianity in the first century, you know, simultaneously grew and grew through social and relational networks and was surrounded by all kinds of strange rumors and, believe, you know, people believe the craziest things about Christians. And it's the same today. And everybody, okay, everybody looking at me? Is every kid looking at me right now? It's okay. It's okay. You're going to be fine. Here's how he says it in verse 14. He says, For here we have no lasting city. We're seeking the city that's to come. If you're going to make it, you just need to make up your mind now that it's okay if not everyone likes me or understands me. But, verse 15, this is not a matter of gritting our teeth and becoming bitter, morose people. To be an outsider in this world is to be the ultimate insider in the only world that actually matters. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, we've come to Mount Zion. 
We've come to the eternal city of the living God, to innumerable angels and festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who stand to inherit everything, and so on. So far from gritting our teeth, the Christian life, in verse 15, is to be one of continuous joy and praise. And that's the, the fourth thing. Verse 15, through Jesus then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Uh, we've, you know, we've talked so many times in this series about uh, that there is no uh, blood sacrifice that remains for the people of God anymore. Here we see there is a sacrifice though. We're to come with praise and thanksgiving and joy. So if, if you really knew what was going on in the universe, I mean, no one should party like Christians do. <laughs> I mean, no one should have the kind of joy that Christians do. No one should be as much fun to be around as Christians do. Not because everything's awesome all the time, but because we understand where things are going. We are able to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of good food and good people and good work because we know the world, you know, is trying to trying to squeeze an identity out of these things, or they're trying to squeeze as much fun as possible before they die out of these things because this is all that there is. For the Christian, we can just let them be what they are. God's good gifts to us and just the first taste of stuff that's coming. So our whole lives are filled with praise to God. We thank God for our silly little jobs and our silly fleeting vacations and our food and warm beds and the people we love because we know it's just getting better. Even as our bodies age and fall apart, we're moving to glory. And verse 16 says we share these things. We do good. We do as much good as we can and we share these things with an open hand because we know they're not ours. We're not going to take them with us. They can bless people. Finally, verses 17 through 19. If you want to make it to the end, you want to endure in faith. Obey your leaders and pray for them. Who can guess which of these points is my favorite today? <laughs> Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. If you want to persevere, obey your leaders and pray for them. Now, I, I understand how self-serving this sounds today. I, I hope you can see I'm just reading you the Bible. Has everybody got it? Prince is just reading you the Bible today. If you want to successfully run your race, don't just fondly remember those leaders that came before, your Sunday school teacher and so on, but listen to the leaders God has given you today. If you find yourself in a situation where you just do not trust the pastors or the leaders at your church. Get yourself to some place where you do. Where you are, you would trust them to tell you the truth about things. Church leadership is a tremendous joy and a tremendous privilege, but it also comes with this understanding 
that one day we're going to give an account for how we have cared for your souls. Uh, Church leaders are not leaders because they're perfect. And we know it, by the way. We're not leaders because we're infallible. We do get things wrong. Church leaders are chosen because of a demonstrated history of faithfulness. And, and usually there's some gifting and things that come along with that as well. So this means that if you think your pastor is wrong, you come and tell him. You say, I think you preached this the wrong way, mister. Have you, have you considered this? Have you read this? We get to do that with each other. If a pastor, and I've had this happen, by the way, so a pastor comes to you and says, hey, I've, I've seen this in your life, and I'm concerned about it. I think it may be leading you down a wrong path. And you say, well, I'm sorry, I don't see it that way. It's not disobedient for you to go and say, could we get a couple of other eyes on this? So I have gone to people and shared concerns with them, And then they've gone and gotten two other elders and their wives and come back to me and said, actually, Prince, we think you're wrong here. You misread the situation. And they're okay. At the same time, if two or three pastors come to you and say together, hey, sis, this is really dangerous what you're doing right now. This is what God's word says. You're clearly out of line here. That's a serious thing, guys. It's a serious thing to have leaders. So, We just brought three elders up here and laid hands on them because of a demonstrated history of faithfulness. We want your family to look like theirs. So if if several elders come to you and say, brother, you are about to blow your life up here, that is a serious thing. Listen to them and obey them because we have groaned over many of you You've caused us to groan. We've warned you. We've pleaded with you. I've had people say to me, I'm going to do what I think is best. And then we've watched them blow their lives up. What if if the issue with a church leader isn't about, it's not a sin issue, it's a, I just don't think the church should run this way issue. This is something else that happens a lot. So you see needs in the church that aren't being met, or, you know, you have this burden for X, Y, or Z ministry. You think we ought to be putting more time and energy over here or something like that. And so you come to a pastor or an elder and you say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I just want to share it with you. Can we get something going over here? And uh, I've had this happen a lot too where I say, okay, I'm, thanks for sharing. I'm, I'm listening. Help me understand. And after a long conversation, I've said, you know, I just don't actually see it that way. Uh, I... I th- I, uh, I just don't see it that way. Well, what should you do in that case? Pray for your leaders. That's what verse, was it 18? Pray for us. We have a clear conscience, and we're trying to do the right things, but we're not infallible. So if you think we're wrong, and we're, and we're not getting in line, pray. I've had this happen twice in the last year. I can think of two things people have brought to me. We've had a conversation. I've said, I just don't see it that way. I'm sorry. And we're not going to move on that. And then like three months later, I'm tooling around my garage. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, I think they're right. And now I see the problem too. And my immediate thought this year has been, I bet they were praying about this. 
So this is how it should work in your house, by the way, right? This is why we do not bring elders up onto the stage unless their wives really like them. Because in, in, in my relationship with Darcy, we do not agree on everything. We're not in lockstep on everything. And when she's wrong, <laughs> when we disagree, I don't have to win the argument today. I can say, God, she has your spirit and I have your spirit. Would you talk to her? You know? <laughs> and she's over here saying, God, would you talk to him? Because I think he's wrong. And this is the way, it's actually a really great way that God has set this up so that people who prove to be good leaders at home, we say, hey, would you like a larger charge with the church? So anyway, that's the way it's supposed to, to work. If you have any questions about this, by the way, please come and talk with me afterward. Uh, yeah. I want to close our, our long journey through the book of Hebrews uh, in this way. I just want to read to you the very first verses we read back on March 12th and then some of the things that have grabbed me most uh, throughout our time. And then we're going to pray together, okay? This is how Hebrews began. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We went on to read this year that Jesus is the divine son of God. He is worshipped by angels. His throne, it says, is forever and ever. He's also the son of man. Made for a little while lower than angels, he really is one of us. Our brother, our captain, and our king. And he's not ashamed to call us his own. Jesus is like Moses, but he's greater because Jesus rules over God's house like a son. He's like Joshua, but he's greater because Jesus brings the real Sabbath rest of God. This is the one we've been waiting for since the seventh day of creation. He's like Aaron the priest, but he's greater because he's from a different order altogether. He's a priest with no beginning and no end. He's completely outside the system of the law, and he draws near, not with the blood of bulls and of goats, but with his own precious blood that actually makes sinners clean. Jesus is a priest, not because he descended from the right people, but on the basis, it says, of an indestructible life so that he is able to save you to the uttermost. Everything that came before Jesus and everything that has come since are just shadows. He is the real thing. Everything else is a copy. He's the original. They're the preparation. He is the substance of the thing itself. And so let us hold fast to him. Faith community, let us hold fast whatever it would cost Wherever he would lead us, whatever he would lead us through, let us hold fast to him and set our eyes on what is really happening here. If you're here today and you're just watching or wondering, 
you are trying to figure out what the big deal is with your parents' faith, or a friend invited you today, you have to get to Jesus. The thing you're not seeing is him. Because if you could see him, you would never turn away. If you could really see what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do, you would never turn away. So let's pray as we prepare to leave. I'm going to give you just a minute right now to set your heart apart for the Lord Jesus and ask him today, God, would you give me grace to persevere to the very end? minute just right now to pray for your kids, pray for your loved ones, pray for your church real quick right now. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus to whom be glory forever and ever amen all right let's stand and sing together